Hello, and welcome back to the Court Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McInnes, and today I'm going to shoot the breeze with a guy whom I'm sure any UH basketball follower will immediately recognize. Dayton Morinaga has been a staple in Rainbow Warrior Hoops coverage for over two decades, first as the beat writer at the old Honolulu Advertiser for a decade prior to its merger with Star Bulletin in 2010, then as the founder and primary operator of the UH Hoops website, warriorinsider.com, beginning with the Gib Arnold era. He's still going strong with the site for what's now an 11th season of Bo's basketball, while balancing a day job and responsibilities as a family man. He's a guy I've always enjoyed swapping war stories with, as I hope you'll hear in the conversation to come. One quick correction on myself for this interview. UC Irvine center Brad Green had 21 rebounds against Hawaii last year, but it was at Irvine's Brand Events Center, not at the Stan Sheriff Center. The burly big man did help the Anteaters win here last year, and was instrumental last night, with 18 points, 14 rebounds, and 5 blocks in a tight 53-51 win over UH at what's now Simplify Arena, sending the Bows to a 2-5 Big West record, while the Anteaters remain perfect at 5-0. This interview with Dayton was taped heading into this weekend's two-game set. We'll soon find out if Hawaii can break the remarkable streak of what's now 5 straight wins in Honolulu for the Big West perennial power, and 7 in a row overall against the Rainbow Warriors. Here we go. Check out Mike and Kara at Nokoi Automotive in Kalihi for all your vehicle repairs and maintenance needs. Quick turnaround, affordable, honest, and ASE certified. Call or text 842-6453 to schedule an appointment today. That's 842-MIKE or email nokaoiauto at gmail.com. The best part? Mention the Court Sense podcast for a 10% discount. Welcome back to this week's edition of the Court Sense Podcast, and it is an honor to be joined by a longtime colleague and friend of mine, Dayton Morinaga, who is really a veteran, the veteran of covering Hawaii men's basketball in our local community. He's been at it for decades now uh, in one capacity or another. Dayton Morinaga, welcome to the pod, man. Appreciate it, Brian. Thank you very much for having me. All right, Dayton. So, from the time I got to know you to what we're doing right now, I mean, our, our roles in life have changed a little bit. We were both former beat writers at, at daily newspapers here in town. Uh, we have both since transitioned to, to doing regular quote unquote day jobs, if you will, uh, but still keep tabs on this, uh, this Hawaii men's basketball program. Uh, you run the Warrior Insider website. You've been at that for, gosh, more than a decade now, I think, right? Uh, 2010 yeah, when Gibbs started. Right. Correct. So, uh, <laughs> so that thing has been pretty well established at this point. And, uh, and you know, you, you are still doing a regular day job. You, you are a father of two girls. So I know you're a busy man. Uh, but Dayton, what have been your impressions this season in this very strange, very unique season? What's it been like covering UH men's basketball this year? Well, you nailed it. It's unique and strange. And um, the, the term covering the team is used extremely loosely this season. I mean, I feel like this is the, the least I've gotten to know or see a team um, for obvious reasons and for good reasons. Um, you know, nobody's allowed to see practices. Um, they pretty much just limited it to two games, um, which are normally would be exhibition games, but those were counting games and that was stretched over the course of two months and then went straight into conference. So, um, to this day, they're about halfway through the season, I guess, time-wise, and I I still feel like I don't know half of the guys on the team, and I don't actually. So um, it's unique. I mean, it's it's kind of an asterisk type of season as far as media is concerned. I know um, the the coaches and players don't see it that way. They're they're doing what they can to com- compete as best as they can, but for us, it's like you said, it's just strange. No other way to put it. So have you been going on these, you know, the, the post-game Zoom calls or you've been there, I guess, physically at Simplify Arena or Stan Sheriff Center? I still say Stan Sheriff Center at least half, more than half the time. I don't know about you, but, um, you know, what, what have actually been like the, the technical ways that you can cover this team? Because uh, I, I have not been involved in a lot of that process. Yeah, so it's very unique. Um, university 
obviously had to follow protocols, safety protocols. Um, and they came up with some, some good ones. Um, media comes in. There's no longer a media entrance. You come in through the main entrance. Um, obviously, there's no fans. And we're all sitting up on the concourse. Nobody's on courtside except, I think, for um, TV and radio. And they're kind of um, spread apart. And the sidelines, the court side of the court has been uh, spread further back uh, as far as this, the stand. So everybody's spread out. Um, I'm up on the concourse. So it's a totally different view from what I've been used to for previous 20-plus seasons. Um, it's, it's unique. It's different. And then after the game, you kind of just sit there at your seat in the concourse and wait for the Zoom call to start. I mean, nobody's allowed down near the locker room. And I don't think even the team is in the locker room, to be honest. I think they just go kind of into a, an open area, do their talk, and then they come in and sit at the computer and we all do our Zoom. And there are people who are not at the arena who were not at the game for um, good reason. I guess they're shorthanded or whatever in the office and they're covering they joined the zoom conference from wherever they are so it's it's just it's unique um you know it's, it's just different from what we we're used to but that's the world we're living in now man that is weird i i'm just picturing sitting there on the concourse and being on a zoom call when like the, the people you're interviewing are just you know uh a matter of feet away from you down down there somewhere right in in the in the bowels of the arena of, of Stan Sheriff Simplify Arena in the green room. I guess that's, I'm guessing that's still where they do the interviews from their normal interview room. Yeah, they are. So they are in that green room. Um, they come in, I believe one at a time. So it's usually one player will come in first. We'll talk to them for a bit. Then the next player will come in. We'll talk to them for a bit. And then coach cannot will come in and we'll talk to them for a bit. And, um, you know, like I said, there's maybe two or three of us who are actually there on the concourse, but there's maybe six or seven or eight people on the Zoom call. So people are joining in from, you know, their offices. Um, legit media, of course, with, with good questions who are following the game, I guess, on, on television or radio, whatever it may be. But, um, yeah, it's just completely different from that uh, press conference, so to speak, that we were, we were doing for um, forever, basically. Forever, yeah. Uh, I, I know you have, and I, I have spent an inordinate amount of my life, it feels like, sitting in that green room and either lobbying questions to the players or coaches uh, or and just sitting there and, and feverishly typing away on deadline, like right after that happens. I mean, it's a, it, you, you know as well as I, it could be a pretty tight deadline from the time the game first ends to going and, and getting your interviews, your quotes, and your stats all all in a row, and then submitting your story and crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. Um, I think writing basketball on deadline is something that, honestly, few people really have experienced, and I wouldn't really recommend it because it's kind of a high stress endeavor. Uh, do, do you? I mean, do you miss that that part of it? It's kind of interesting. I'm just like off the top of my head thinking about this like looking back on, on those times because uh, it's been a few years since I was doing that for the print edition and a few years more for yourself. Uh, what do you remember from those times? Um, well, that's the beauty of the part of the, the beauty of the job, I think is just um, getting to do that, getting to write on deadline. That's kind of the, um, the adrenaline rush, so to speak. And people always ask me, well, um, what's it like to cover a game? And I said, well, my work starts when the game ends that's kind of what happens, right? You just kind of rethink your thoughts and put it all into words. Um, do I miss it? Not really. <laughs> it, like you said, it's, it's very stressful. And maybe in the immediate aftermath of not doing it, I missed it a bit. But now that I kind of created this other endeavor to um, release my outlet of media coverage for Hawaii basketball um, at Warrior Inside, it's, you know, I could work at my own pace. I mean, I still try to make deadlines and try to work as fast as possible but it's not that tight deadline where somebody's on your on your back saying where is it we need it you know i, I don't have that i can kind of control my own uh, pacing so um but at the same time i'm not getting paid the big bucks like i used to for that for what i'm doing so um it's all it's all um relative um, right. but i'm having fun doing it i enjoyed what i did in the past it allowed me to do what i'm doing now so all blends together. There you go. 
Well, Dayton, let, let's look ahead to this weekend's two-game set with UC Irvine, who has been the undisputed power in the Big West Conference. Uh, Russell Turner seems to have these guys ready to contend for a championship, at least in the regular season, occasionally in the Big West tournament, uh, pretty much year in and year out. Uh, I'm just going to read off some of the superlatives that Irvine has racked up uh, over the last several years. Uh, this Irvine team has won six games in a row, uh, undefeated in Big West to this point. Uh, Irvine has four straight wins at the Stan Sheriff Center. They are 19-2 and two in their last 21 road games, which is just a mind-boggling stat to me. 31-4 and four in the Big West over the last two-plus seasons, and against Hawaii specifically, 14-5 and five against the Rainbow Warriors in the Russell Turner era. So, uh, Dayton Morinaga, I pose this to you. What can Hawaii do to reverse some of those trends here this weekend? Wow. Um, that's an impressive uh, resume. I, wouldn't, I didn't realize their road record was so impressive. Um, Hawaii's just, they've pretty much just got to play their best game. And I think we saw glimpses of it in the, the last game at, at Fullerton. Um, you know, they were kind of all clicking. Um, and certainly scrapping and hustling, which is the trademark of a Iran Ganat team, um, fighting for rebounds, which they'll have to push to an even larger extreme against UC Irvine. That's been their traditional strength is just um, defense and rebounding and looks to be again. But if I recall looking at their uh, roster, UC Irvine is young in the backcourt this year. So yes, um, that could be something that could work to Hawaii's advantage. Um, not that Hawaii's experience in the backward, they're also very young, but they've got some pretty good athletes there who um, hopefully can hold their own and they need shots to fall. I mean, it's, it, that part has just not been very consistent. Um, I think they have the makings of a, a good outside shooting team, but it, it hasn't shown so far. Um, Jardine's had his days. Webster has had his days. Um, Junior Madut has had his days. Um, they need to be just be a little bit more consistent. I, and I think it's coming. You see glimpses of it. Um, and, of course, the bigs, uh, James Jean-Marie, uh, Mate Cholina, they've got to play big against uh, Colin Velp and Brad Green because those guys, are, they're monsters. So <laughs> Green got to get their best. <laughs> Green is a beast, uh, kind of a beastly-looking dude. And uh, I believe he had like 21 rebounds uh, when, when he came here last year. Does that sound right, right Dane? Yes. He was just a monster on the glass. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Velp, I mean, was was swaggering up and down the court to, uh, you know, that, that one did not go the way of the Rainbow Warriors at all. So, um, as you said, I mean, it is a young team. That, that may be where some of the salvation could lie, at least in one of these games. If, you know, if you're Hawaii, I think might, that might be the, the realistic scenario is, is getting a split with Irvine here. Um, if they can, if they can, you know, sweep them here without the benefit of much or any home court advantage, um, you know, that would be something for sure. They, as you said, they, they have had size consistently. They pound the glass consistently. And, you know, they've had usually pretty competent guard play to go with it. No, no one like a Luke Nelson on this year's roster, I don't think. But still, uh, it's a balanced group. No one, I think, averages more than 11 or 12 points a game. And uh, I will be interested to see if, if they travel as well as they have, or them being Irvine, and if Hawaii can build on that pretty spirited performance that you alluded to, Dayton, in that last game where they, they took it to Fullerton after getting, getting it taken to them uh, a day sooner than that. So something clearly switched between the, those two games. What did you think about that response to the, and the four-game losing streak? Yeah, um, they had uh, – there was a, a – a Zoom conference earlier this weekend, uh, Coach Gennad and uh, Mate talked about it a little bit. Um, I guess they met immediately after the game and they met at the hotel and they talked about things. And um, I guess just kind of got together and, and said, you know, we can't lose two against this team. And whatever they said, it, it worked. Um, they weren't too privy on the details, uh, specific details, but I think just the fact that they – got together and sat down and talked about it and hashed things out um, was good. And whatever it was, it worked. And, you know, again, shots were falling this time. So, um, and 
you could see the hustle was back. So um, I think combination of all of the three, but um, like you said, UC Irvine is just a, a different animal. Um, but you brought up a good point in that um, UC Irvine flying over here to Hawaii is, I think, an advantage for Hawaii, particularly this year. I haven't looked at their schedule specifically, but I think UC Irvine might be one of those teams that did not fly anywhere. I believe so that's if, correct. if that holds true, some of their young freshmen, I think they've got like eight freshmen, although some of them are, are red shirts. It, it'll be their first time flying. So um, hopefully that can work to Hawaii's advantage. We'll see, though. Absolutely. Uh, Dan, how indicative of the way the rest of the season, because as you mentioned, I mean, it's, there's not a ton left. Uh, do you think this weekend series could be, given that Hawaii is right now two and four in the Big West Conference, Hawaii's never been below 500 in the Big West Conference in any of Aranganat's prior five years as head coach. They've always been eight and eight or better. Uh, there was the potential for up to 20 Big West games to be played this year. Uh, two were out because the Cal Poly series got canceled. Uh, also, the UC San Diego two games that UH will play coming up will not count in the standings. Um, because they are a tr- transitional D1 team and the, and the league made that decision. So uh, this, you know, games number seven and eight uh, against UC Irvine, how, how do you see this maybe charting the course or setting the tone for the rest of the Big West? Okay, so I'm not a math major, but I think by your count, that would mean Hawaii has 16 Big West games total. First, if no more are counted, correct? 16. So, correct. Um, and they are two and four now, so that leaves ten remaining counting. Ten, ten remaining counting, including two this um, weekend. Right, right. So, um, yeah, if they want to achieve a winning record and at least seven more, seven of the ten, which would be seven and three, I think you need a split here at least, um, because they've still got Santa Barbara coming up, um, Long Beach State, who's always tough, and. Uh, I I read I think some something strange with Long Beach State. Not to kind of divert from the subject, but they had a couple of players up back in, really, like this week. Yeah, which and it was uh, something like it was a couple of pretty good players. Um, Colin Slater I think was one of them. So um, that improves them immediately. And UC Davis, um, good or bad, Hawaii gets them last, which has happened before. But UC Davis was off for. I think it was seven straight weeks because of restrictions in the county. So I would think the advantage would have been to play them right after that, which I think UC San Diego got a split out of them. Right. Uh, but Hawaii got some at the end at Davis, by which point I would think Davis will be in, sh- in better shape than they are now and more game prepared. So um, tough schedule coming up. Um, I think, yeah, you got to aim for the sweep this week, as high of a name as that is. And hopefully you can get that. If not, get the split. Anything less is troublesome. <laughs> right. So you mentioned how even to this point, you don't have like a great handle on on this team's guys, right? Like uh, other than limited times, being able to interview them over Zoom, you haven't really seen them in practice because no one has. And um, and there's just so many new faces from last year. I mean, so Drew Bugs, you know, goes to Missouri in the offseason. And then, um, you know, Dawson Carper goes to Missouri State. Samuta Avea opts out. Um, and then we recently had, I, I believe, Bernardo De Silva is out for the year because of injury. Or it's, it sounds like he's out for the year is my understanding. So, uh yeah, that's like most of the the last of the familiar faces we had from last year, right? Is, is it anyone's best guess how these guys will respond uh, in these games to come? Yeah, it is. Um, like you said, they are all all essentially new, and even Justin Webster. I mean, he he was labeled, he was voted a captain, co-captain, um, but it, he wasn't like getting major minutes last year. I mean, I think he he eventually. Maybe you could label him as a part-time starter even. Um, he started a few, but not all of the games. He was more of a, a six-man type. Um, and now he's almost your go-to guy. But the others that they're relying on are, are incoming new players. But the good thing is a couple of them are experienced. Um, Kaz and Jardine, obviously, and, and James Jean-Marie there. 
senior transfers. So I think that helps. Um, they bring their college ex- basketball experience. Um, but the other guys, yeah, it's, I mean, they're learning on the fly. But the good thing is I see athleticism that maybe I did not see in so much in recent years. So um, I think that adds a dimension that perhaps that they didn't have where guys might be able to catch on faster just because of athleticism. Uh, we can't forget Mate Cholina, whom you referenced a little oh, earlier. He's, yes. he's been playing pretty well. Or What do you think of the way he's been playing? Yeah, I like I, – I mean, since day one, his thing was just hustle and, and fight hard and play um, outside of his talent, so to speak. Um, and he's doing that. I mean, that's what he does. You know, he's just – he does it by positioning himself well and fighting and scrapping and – doing whatever he can to help the team. Um, you know, if, if he can get five points and 11 rebounds every game, this this team will be pretty good. Uh, the, I think they would take that in a heartbeat any night, which is, I believe that was his line in the Fullerton game, the second game, right? Uh, Correct. 11 boards, yeah. All right, well, uh, Dayton, let's, let's go back in time a little bit to uh, your formative years. And uh, you're a St. Louis alum. And you went on to get a, a journalism degree, if I'm not mistaken, right? At yes. Boy, yeah, yes. Showing my age, that's when journalism <laughs> still gave out degrees. The <laughs> what a time. What a time. I think I was one of the last guys to get one there. But uh, what, what made you really kind of just gravitate towards the, that, that field of sports writing and, and basketball in particular? And how did that come together for you? Um, well, I, I've always been into sports, um, ever since I was a little kid, um, wasn't very good at it. So, um, i I followed newspapers, TV coverage, just, um, you know, from the time I was in high school and just enjoyed, it. I was always like a stat statistics guy, um, all sports, baseball, football, basketball, um, just was always fascinated by this stuff, numbers, um. And, and reading recaps and, and following, reading previews of, you know, NFL, college, NBA, just, just following everything. And so um, once I got to University of Hawaii, I kind of knew that I wanted to get into journalism. And I even got a, I was fortunate to get a student job at the University of Hawaii Media Relations uh, Department. And so that kind of sparked everything. Um, it was it was different then. I, it was actually called sports information department. So um, I got to be more around and find out what was it what it was about, and also led me to find out about an opening at the Honolulu Advertiser um, in a sports clerk position. Which, um, as you're familiar with, it's it's just answering <laughs> phones and taking stats and punching in all the the little the small type we call agate type in the business. Um, started out that way, and then it just blossomed. I, I, you know, um, transitioned to reporter and um, opened up on actually the small, it was called small college. Um, They don't like that that term, but it's basically the NCAA division two programs. And back then there were four Um, BYU Hawaii had had a program and and it was bigger back then. Um, There was, you know, more fan interest. I think Um, it, it kind of waned. Um, along with media coverage, but that led then to allow me to cover UH basketball. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what happened. I think Steven Tsai um, was the UH basketball beat writer. And I, if I recall correctly, he got promoted to UH football full-time as a beat writer. And so when he took that spot, then I took his spot in UH basketball. And that was, in the year 2000, which makes it easier for me to remember how long I've been covering because it's from 2000 to 2021. So this is the 21st year. What do you remember about taking over, you know, getting the, the go-ahead to cover basketball? I mean, was it your favorite sport to cover already just based on your small college time or your time at the University of Hawaii? And, um, yeah, I mean, did you feel like you took it, took to it right away because this is obviously – something that you're passionate about. You've been doing this, as we talked about, for your website for 10 plus years since your time working for a newspaper. So you've invested a ton of time into it. Uh, was there that kind of gravitational pull, I guess, toward it right away? 
Yeah, well, going back to the to the um, Division Two B, yeah, basketball was obviously the um, the main sport for those schools. Um, women's volleyball was was big too, and I got to cover that as well. But but basketball was the big thing, and that's um, during those years when I covered them in the '90s, um, Hawaii Pacific with Tony Salito, uh, BYU Hawaii with Ken Wagner. Um, they were both very good. Chaminade was also very good, as was as was Uachilo for that matter. It was it was it was really good basketball in Division Two, and so I got to cover a lot of basketball games. Um, it helped me form some of the writing style that I took over to cover University of Hawaii. Um, but I I always been a University of Hawaii basketball fan from when I was a little kid. Um, my dad was a season ticket holder back when I was you know, in elementary school. So I was going to games since then. And um, even when Steven Sai was covering, when there were big games um, that required a secondary writer, um, we call a sidebar in the business, I would often do that. So I, I, you know, I was there for the, the Kansas upset in the Rainbow Classic, covering it as a, as a sidebar. Um, there are a couple other games that I recall going to. So uh, yeah, so getting to the point, it was, it was a good transition and was a good fit for me, I thought. And um, I walked into a, a golden opportunity. I think I always say I was so fortunate because it turned out that year I took over the beat was kind of when the the program just took off and went on this great run, you know, under under the the kind of last years of Riley Wallace. So um, you know, I I'll always remember those years as as some of the best of my um, journalism career. Well, yeah, I mean, talk about good timing. You got to go to two straight NCAA tournaments, and then what was it, four straight NITs on the, right on the back of that? Yeah, well, it was four straight um, hosting appearance. I believe it was two NCAAs and then two NITs in a row, and then I think they fell off a little bit, and they oh, came okay. up a couple after that. But, but those first four years for sure, um, and the first two right off the bat to go to the NCAAs were um, – you know, it's it's still something that I look back on and will will always cherish. It was that first year in particular. Um, one thing I remember is, and, and bear with me, I was gonna. It's kind of a lengthy story, but absolutely. One thing I remember is the senior game, senior night game. Okay, it's it's obviously here at the, the Stan Sheriff Center. Um, it was against TCU, which was in the WAC back then, and a couple months earlier at TCU. Hawaii lost by like 40. That's when TCU had uh, Billy Tubbs was a coach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they ran this full court press. I don't know if they had a name for it, but. Um, was Marquise Gaines still there? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Um, but they were just, they were replacing athletes left and right every year. I mean, they were, it was just that kind of a program. Um, I, I got to travel to that road game at TCU and it was, it was atrocious. I mean, they could not get the ball. Hawaii could not get the ball past half court. And it seemed like TCU had maybe 20 dunks in the game. And it was that kind of game. I believe the final score was like 103 to 64 or something like that. Um, so they come back and they, they, that's the team they play for senior night, but Hawaii wins. They win by like 15. And, you know, this was an average Hawaii team um, at that point. So from there, that was not, that was senior night, but it wasn't the end of the regular season. So after senior night, beating TCU, they play at San Jose State. And then they win that. And I believe that was their first road win of that season. They struggled on the road that year. So that was the first road win of that season. So they are now on a streak of two huge morale boosting wins um, revenge over TCU to beat them by 40 and then a first road win at San Jose. But the, the whack back then was completely different from anything we, we know now. So from San Jose, two days later, they're playing at Texas El Paso and that's the regular season finale. Um, UTEP back then was really good. Um, and it's, it's a crazy travel plan to go from San Jose on a Thursday night to El Paso, Texas, and play play them on a Saturday night. It's it's a tough ask for anybody. So Hawaii loses, but it was close. And um, I remember Coach Riley Wallace being relatively satisfied. He said, "You know, this team's got some momentum. 
going into the WAC tournament. And WAC tournament that year was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hawaii, um, I want to say they were 8-8 eight and eight in the WAC. That's correct. Uh, they were the 5 seed. 5 seed. And fourth seed is TCU. So, you know, those matchups are, they went one and one. And everybody's thinking, okay, well, TCU is going to get them back. It's not in Hawaii. Well, Hawaii pulls it off. They, they beat TCU again. I, I, they, I think they blew them out. 99-79. Um, yeah, so at that point, Hawaii had the, the press down. It was a really, really good passing Hawaii team once they got it going. Um, so they win that one, and then they play next in the semis. They play number one seed. Fresno State, I believe. And Fresno Fresno was really good back then. They had Jerry Tarkanian. Yeah, and everybody knows what Tark was like and his recruits. Um, and Hawaii beats Fresno. They're in the championship, right? And it's against Tulsa, who's the home team. And it's well known to people who follow basketball. Um, Carl English emerged. It's the Carl English game. It's the emergence of Carl English in that particularly in the championship game, they beat Tulsa. And so they get automatic NCAA bid, which ends up being in Dayton, Ohio. And of course they get Syracuse and, you know, there are more stories about that. There's the food poisoning thing and, and all that, but um, just what an experience. And the one thing that people overlook is that as I go through that, the sequence of events, they went over a course of four weeks we played in Hawaii time zone, the Pacific time zone. El Paso is in the mountain time zone. They're, uh, they're the part of Texas that's in the mountain. Tulsa is in the central time zone, and Dayton, Ohio is in the east time zone. So over that course <laughs> of four weeks, they, they played a game in every single time zone. It, it, it's got to be a first in, I would think, NCAA basketball. Maybe the only time NCAA basketball history. I don't know. I did I don't not know, know that. Unique. That is incredible. Yeah, and it, it's definitely unique, and, you know, um, I was fortunate enough to be there on all of those games. So, um, again, it's just something I'll, I'll always cherish and remember. Man, yeah, I I had a certain special envy for, you know, the, those old days of, of the newspaper beat writers getting to, to go to every road game uh, because I it was a situation when I started at the Star Bolton, like – if I got to go to the conference tournament, that was like, you know, the best president in the world. And uh, I would never take it for any of it for granted because like, I, I would always have to be watching these games remotely and scheduling stringers to, to cover these games, you know, leading up to it on the road. So that, that must've been incredible. You must've had some, some crazy stories just being in every single one of those time zones in, in like a span of, like you said, a few, three or four weeks. Right. Yeah. Oh, I do. The travel was probably, um, it's obviously one of the perks of being a beat writer back then. Um, things have obviously changed and it was starting to change as, um, I got later on in, in my, um, beat years for UH basketball. Um, the emergence of the internet obviously had a lot to do with that. Um, it games became easier to cover without having to be there, but, but you still can't beat being there. And, you know, I, and you, We've discussed this before. Um, you know, you get to you get a more feeling of what the team is about, uh, and you get to experience what the other teams are about, what it's like to play in all these different arenas and different cities, and what life is like in you know all these different places. And like I said back then, the WAC was completely different. I mean, we went. I went to um, with I was fortunate to travel with the team to places like Ruston, Louisiana, um, Moscow, Idaho you know, Boise, Idaho, just all these unique places. Um, Logan, Utah, Utah. Yeah. Logan, Utah, Utah State. That, I mean, that's, that was one of the toughest places to get to. And keep in mind, we're traveling at, um, in winter. It's, you know, it's January, February, December, January, February. And so some of these places were just crazy snow, um, snowstorms, um, you know, ice and this just really, really, really great experiences. And some even, Outside of the conference, um, something that jumps out to my mind just for whatever reason is, I'm not, I'm not sure what the year is, but I went to the Hawaii play in the Great Alaska Shootout uh -huh. in Anchorage, Alaska. So I got, and I got to go to that, and you know that was just a unbelievable experience just to be there. And you know, I remember 
one thing that I can recall is I had a bottle of water and I had it in my car in the cup holder. And of course the, the heater is on in the car. So I get out to check into my hotel and you know, that takes 15, 20 minutes, whatever, and run back out. And the half bottle of water is frozen. I'm, I'm not, you know, crystallized. It's frozen solid. And that's when I knew, I mean, this is, this is not Hawaii. You know, this is a completely <laughs> different place. You know, but it, it's those experiences that, you know, I, it helped me grow as a person, not just as a beat writer too. So just to experience all those things was, you know, something that I'm incredibly thankful for. Uh, just to have gone through the 2006 that would have been right the great alaska shootout oh yeah yeah what about that that fall you know you went in detail on that first of those ncaa back-to-backs when hawaii was one of the favorites the following year as the number one seed uh, with tulsa was the team they were dueling against that that whole season i mean that's the one that's the season i really started paying attention to as a uh student at the time uh, what what do you kind of take away from from that year where they went back to back for still the only time tournament champ NCAA appearance in program history? Yeah, I mean that team was really good. I mean, there's no other way to put. It. They were really good. They had um, they had basically two star players. Um, that which is rare for University of Hawaii. Um, you had Pedro Salvovich as a senior. And Carl English as an emerging and very confident sophomore, and around them you had really good role players. Um, Haim Shimanovich was the center who didn't really score, um, but rebounded everything and took up a whole heck of a lot of space in the middle. And the offense that Riley Wallace ran back then was reliant upon screens. Um, within the paint, high and low, high post, low post, and, and he was really good at that. Um, you know, something that kind of went um, under the radar. People don't don't recognize him for that, but that was his job, and he did it really well. And then Phil Martin was there. Um, he was just consistent in what he did, and that was the year they they brought in uh, Mark Campbell to be the point guard. Um, he was a junior college transfer, but he was perfect for what they needed because he's a point guard who liked to pass and. He had Salvo on his right, English on his left. You know, he'd pick and choose. If they were doubling those guys, he was good at finding Phil Martin cutting underneath. And then off the bench, you had Mindalgis Bernica uh, and and uh, Mike McIntyre. The late Mike and, McIntyre. Yeah, I mean, the late Mike McIntyre. Um, but And both those guys could shoot the lights out. And Mindalgis could, could play inside or outside. Um. I think they also had Tony Akpon, who was maybe the yeah. next guy um, off the bench. He didn't get much minutes, but uh, it was those seven guys, if I recall, who, who got almost all of the minutes. Um, there were probably some others. Tony Akpon had the, uh, the the moment that UH could could cling, at least the fans, UH fans would cling to for that NCAA tournament game against Xavier, right? Correct. The, the rundown block. Yeah. Uh, David West. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, um, that that team was just—they were good. They were confident. Um, I don't—I can't recall the exact results, but I remember um, they blew out a lot of teams. I remember that that WAC tournament was also in Tulsa, and I don't think anybody came close. And I remember coaches, different coaches, um, Jerry Tarkin. I don't, I don't know if they played Fresno that year, but I remember Jerry Tarkin just being in awe of of that team. Um, Oh, I know what it was. It was they played Fresno in the regular season finale to clinch the the title, the regular season title and the top seed for the WAC tournament. That was at Fresno. At Fresno, right. At Fresno. And going in, Hawaii needed to win that game to be the regular season champs. That was a regular season finale. They had to win it. If they lost it, I think they would have been maybe the three seed. And again, if I recall correctly, prior to that game, Pedro Xavovic is ruled out. is a bad back. So they went into that game without their best player, who was the leading candidate for, or a candidate for WAC player of the year. I don't think he got, he, well, he did not get it. I think it went to uh, Melvin Eli. Melvin actually, Eli, right. State. But they won without 
Savo, and it's because Carl English went off. He scored 30-some points. And Mike McIntyre, I think, started in place of Savo, and he got like 28 points or something. They were just hitting threes all over. And that was the, the press conference where Jerry Tarkanian said, I think they suited up Carl. Uh, I think they suited up Jerry West, and his name they changed his name to Carl English tonight, or something like along those lines. And he compared Carl English to Jerry West, and um, and then they went to the Tulsa in the WAC tournament. I, like I said, I I don't recall anybody coming close to them in that tournament. I may be wrong, but I think they blew out everybody. They did um, double digits all three yeah, games: San Jose Jackson, State, Nevada, and. And Tulsa in a true road game, a true home game for Tulsa in the championship, beat them by 14. Pretty incredible. Yeah. And so that's why, I mean, everybody had high hopes for that NCAA tournament. And um, like I said, the WAC was different that um, back then from the conference that we're in now. I mean, with all due respect to Big West, um, you know, if you follow bracketology and all that, um, UC Irvine and or UC Santa Barbara is being listed as 15, 15 yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I saw one that had Santa Barbara as a 16, which, um, you know, it's, that's tough to take, but that's that. Back in 2002, Hawaii, Hawaii won the WAC, and they're a 10 seed. And they were upset at being a 10 seed. They, they thought they should have been higher. But hopes were high, and it was, honestly, it was a tough draw. Um, Xavier as a 7, and I want to say that was – both teams were ranked in the AP top 25 at the time. That was what was unique. I think it might have been the only first-round matchup that year huh. that had two ranked teams. Uh, not that the rankings mean anything at that point, but right. for a 7 and a 10 seed, and both be ranked in the top 25 was extremely unique. And, and it was a tough draw, but, you know, Hawaii had their chances, and that's that. Still the last Hawaii team to crack the top 25. And finish the season in the top twenty-five. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense because, um, you know, the 2016 team was was great. Also, um, lots of talent. But like I said, the conference conference we're in now is kind of um, it does drag a lot of things down. It's it's just, just different. Sure. UH would have had to beat Oklahoma in that Diamond Head Classic semifinal that year in 2016. I, I believe they would have been ranked had they had they won that game. Oklahoma was a a top six or a top four team or maybe number four they were third 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 is right you're right number three uh let me ask you this about those times as well you mentioned riley what what was your working relationship with riley wallace like the the winningest head coach in uh history riley wallace was was really good to me um i'm always grateful for uh, a, a chance to work with him um his last i guess his last seven years i covered him and um Everybody talks about how he kind of – I caught him in his mellow years. That's what everybody says. Um, his first 13 to 14 years were the rough years when, um, you know, everybody says he was different. He was the jacket-throwing, yelling guy. And um, in those later years, I guess he had – he relied more on his assistants. And um, he was really good. But one thing I remember about Riley Wallace was um, the first practice that I came to cover him, um, I had to introduce myself, and I – told him that, you know, I was going to be the new beat writer, the new Steven Sai. And, of course, Steven had worked with him for, for I don't know how long, maybe another previous 10 years or whatever it was. Um, he was the beat guy. And so, um, of course, Riley had jokes and he said, good, we got an upgrade. And then, you know, but he, the thing he did is on that, in that moment, he took me around and he introduced me to his staff. And then he, after practice, I for whatever reason, I was the only um, reporter there on that day. And, you know, he brought me out to the court and he had the team huddle around and he introduced me to the team and he said, whatever you guys were telling Steven Sai, you treat this guy the same way. And, you know, I'll always remember that, you know, um, because they did, the guys did, they were really good to work with um, that team in particular. And so um, I'll always remember him for that and respect him. And, um, Everything worked well with, with Riley. The thing with him was I caught him up towards the tail end, but he understood media. He understood the local media, what it, he could do, what he could do to utilize and enhance his program. So that helped. Um, but he also did not like when there was negative things about his program, and he let, he let you know about it. 
Um, but it was a good give and take. Like I said, he understood it. And so that, that really helped. Oh, that's great. Um, all right, Dan, we're going to move a little forward in time now to right after really, gosh, within, I want to say a year after you started up your website, warriorinsider.com. That was a year after the, the two papers merged. So, you know, unfortunately, jobs became scarcer, harder to get in the market. And, you know, that was a shocking turn of events for everyone involved. Um, but you, you're running your own website. Gib Arnold is now the head coach of the University of Hawaii basketball program. After that first season, I believe they went 19 and 13, one of the most successful first years for a head coach in program history. Gib says, we want to go on this trip to Asia. We're going to China. We're going to Japan. We're calling it the Warriors to Asia tour. And I want the media to come cover us while we're there. We're going to play like, you know, seven, eight teams in China and Japan over a two-week span. It's going to be great. Uh, so what do you remember about that trip? I, I just remember it being one of the most surreal experiences of my professional career. Uh, for a number of reasons, uh, good and bad. And uh, first, I also want to add before I, I let you just please take this any direction you want. I have to thank you because if it were not for you doing your thing on the website, I would not have been on that trip. I was not going to China because the bosses were convinced it was not worth the money. Like there's no competition. Why bother? So I had to, I pleaded my case and I made my case in part based on the fact that I knew you were going to be there and you were going to be doing all this awesome video coverage. And I, I would I'd love you to expound on the video aspect because I think that's something you really took with and, and ran with it to great success at a time when almost nobody was doing video components other than the TV people, of course. So you had all that going on. I pitched that to the bosses. You finally relented at the, the 11th hour to send me to China. And so thank you, Dayton Morinaga, for that. Uh, because it was, like I said, one of the most memorable things I've ever covered as a as a professional journalist. All right, please take it away. What do you remember from that whole time, two weeks okay, in China? Okay. okay, well, you're welcome, first of all. Um, I'm sure you had some regrets on the first couple of days when <laughs> things were going all haywire. <laughs> we could get into that a little later, but... Um, yeah, it was, it was a scramble for me, too. There was no guarantee I was going. In fact, I remember... Um, actually having to ask for donation, public donations to my site um, just to help fund it because there was no way I was going to cover it um, on my own. And I, I did have some sponsors who helped out, but, there, you know, that trip was costly, right, as you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, and thankfully, um, there were some boosters and fans who just um, followed the site at the time and knew what I was going to do. And so they, they contributed and I'm forever grateful to all of those. I mean, there was a list of about, you know, 40, 50 people, different organizations and individuals who donated and allowed me to go. So um, that was, that took care of that part. Um, I was covered. I didn't have to worry about finances. Um, but yeah, getting there was, it was unique. I mean, it was, um, I was, I was fortunate in that, um, I got onto the the team's itinerary. Yes, um, you were you were on a different. I was on some of the the boosters and fans group travel itinerary, which made things hairy at times. Let me tell you, trying to cr crisscross with the team and be at the same place at the same time that caused that probably shortened my life by a few years, just in terms of stress. <laughs> yeah, I I can imagine, and I'm gonna share this one thing, um, and I hope you don't mind, but I still remember. One of the first days, I think it was in China, um, we we're going to go out to dinner from the hotel and everybody was supposed to go. And I think we, we left and you weren't there. And yep. I was going, well, wait, where's Brian? And I, I thought for a moment, okay, well, you had to go and work or whatever it was. And so we left and we ate dinner and we came back. And I remember you sitting in the lobby, <laughs> looking just with the saddest look on your face, you know, and I was like, Brian, what happened? And I was like, I got ditched, man. <laughs> and that, but that was kind of the, the theme of the trip. It was like, it was very, whatever. It was like fly by the seat well, of your pants. Exactly. And, um, it was just a, an experience, you know, and, and 
for my part, I mean, I don't speak Chinese, I don't speak Japanese, and and one of the biggest thing was being afraid of being left alone. You know, sometimes as a, as a journalist, you go out and you try to do things differently or separately from the team, but I did not want to do that. I just wanted to stay as close as possible to to the guy, to the team, just to make sure I did not get lost in a foreign country, not knowing anything about the language. Um, but despite all the hurdles, all the logistic hurdles, um, overall it was fun. It was a great experience, um, you know, because the things that we saw that stand out in my mind, the Great Wall of China, um, some of these other, um, the, the silk market, just experiencing those things that I will probably never would have in my life otherwise and never, I don't plan to. So, you know, just to check that off, you know, of my um, bucket list was, was huge for me, you know, the, the, and then the basketball of course was, was unique as well. You know, just seeing those teams and those different gyms, you know, it was, it was great experience. And I got to spend some time with you, uh, fortunately, uh, you know, we, we, uh, you know, shared, drowned their sorrows a couple of nights about things and you know that and that was fun so um yeah overall you know i take it as a as a good experience no one of the i used the, the word surreal and, and yes that incident you referenced yeah i was sitting in the lobby like waiting for the team to go uh with like i guess i had my back like half turned and then the next thing i know like they're gone and <laughs> and I, you're right. I probably had the saddest look on my face because that was like one of the first main events of the trip in Guangzhou, China. And the pressure was on from back home to be churning out content, you know, to justify their time and money. And uh, to that point, the stories were kind of sparse because there was a lot of travel. We went to South Korea first to, to get into China. And yeah, I was I was sweating bullets at that point, my friend. Uh, thankfully, it got better from there, and I was able to pretty much make every single main itinerary event for the rest of the way, including things like the Great Wall of China, um, you know, riding on one of their bullet trains in China, which are not up to the standard of Japan's bullet trains, but was an experience for me at the time. That's for dang sure. And uh, so many things that I'll never forget. So um, the basketball, in some ways, was an afterthought, at least in some of those games. I don't know about you, but probably not the highest quality but there were some real memorable ones, including when they went up to that small industrial town up near North Korea, like within an hour of the North Korean border. The vibe was not friendly there compared to the other games that we had been to, that like where the fans were just in total adoration of the UH team and, and everyone associated. They're asking me for autographs. Like it, it was wild, man. But then when we go, I had to like take basically like a private charter, like a what would be like an Uber now two hours separate from the team, because like we said, I was traveling separately through the countryside of, of rural China to get to that. And it's the most hostile reception you could get. I mean, just packed crowd fervent and they build it as USA versus China. And they had the flags flying up there like an Olympic match. And I'll just never forget that. And it got hostile, man. I, do you remember much from that game? I mean, there was some pushing and shoving Gib got pushed or shoved or, something and like the Chinese SWAT team was there and their SWAT team uniforms, they barred the gate of the, the main entrance. Like, so no one could leave or come in. Like it was wild. Yeah. I do remember that game. And, um, it, yeah, Gib got in the middle of whatever, I, I believe it started out with players and for some reason, PE men's is coming to mind. I'm not, I'm not sure why. Uh, <laughs> um, but there's something happened and, and Gib kind of jumped in there and, you know, tensions kind of were raised at that point And it was, it, it got a little hairy for a minute, you know, like you said, it was, it was just, it was a different environment. Um, probably not the place to make enemies, so to speak, but um, just glad it worked out and cooler heads prevailed. Cause I think um, at the end, I think everything was, was back to normal. And I think, as they did for all the other games, I think at the end, uh, the Hawaii, some of the traveling party did, you know, some kind of a ceremony to give things to the, the other team. And so I think it all, it all. Yeah. Out. Yeah. Do you remember some of the more interesting things that you had to eat on that trip? I remember there was like some roasted crickets 
they're like they're yeah, one of the alleyways do. there was like fried scorpions just like indiana jones type stuff man <laughs> right i didn't try any of the the real like there were scorpions um like scorpions on a stick right i remember yeah, uh, yeah you know all kinds of different bugs um gosh thinking back now I, i'm guessing there were bats but gosh thankfully oh that's no, a dark no, thought yeah nobody thankfully nobody ate one but yeah and i remember walking down the streets and there would be on like blankets um fish just sitting out in the sun on the public sidewalk and that's how they i guess that's how they dry the fish i mean completely unsanitary you know <laughs> we'll never pass pass the muster here in america at least i hope not but um that's just the way it was and you know um i think there was a dinner a team dinner where maybe you and i sat next to each other but i think we we both agreed to try these whatever it was fried crickets, crickets. yeah and, you know it wasn't great but it wasn't bad right if i remember. no it actually wasn't yeah. very crunchy yeah so i mean and you know i've I've always felt like um through my travels um whether it's national or international you know it's the mentality of winning rome you know just at least try it so you can say you did try it in that place um, or you know wherever it may be so i'm i'm glad i got to experience some of those things one last note on that trip we we did drown our sorrows one final time in japan on the final leg of the trip and that was one of the most fun times i had there because we just went to all these these random bars in Osaka, and uh, the the comedy was high because I was attempting my high school slash entry college level Japanese to to try to you know uh, get us around, whereas like and they were all trying to practice English on us, mostly me because I think they thought you were, <laughs> were one of the locals at least until you opened your mouth. And, and, um, but the, the high comedy of me. Uh, the whitest guy you could possibly imagine trying to use his Japanese and, and Dayton just being like the shoulder shrug. Yeah, I remember that. I remember, and I think we talked about like, we should film this because they're going to assume that I'm the guy who speaks Japanese and I speak not a lick of it. And you were the guy who tried to speak Japanese and failing, um, but yeah. yeah, but, but it was, it was fun nonetheless. And I, I remember that because we went to, um, it was like the bars were in office buildings. Right. right? And we're going like we're riding the elevator and it opens up into these office buildings <laughs> and they all have the sign of the bar on top of it. And you just go to these little different offices and it opens up to a bar. And um I think we we went to several different floors and just to, <laughs> <laughs> just to try try what each one was like and see if anybody could pick up on your Japanese and I if I recall correctly, you ordered some things for us, so it worked. Uh, we we may have been hallucinating at that point. I, I don't I don't <laughs> know how much success I had, but uh, <laughs> no, that that was awesome, man. And uh, I don't know about you, I, I did not have set internet on that trip. I mean, I could talk about this trip forever, but like I, I had to just rely on hotspots from the hotels. Like, what was this is going to be the last question? I promise about the the Warriors to Asia trip. Like, what was your connectivity situation? Yeah, that was crazy. And um, like you mentioned earlier, I was I was doing mostly video stuff. And um, for people who do um, video processing, it, you, you need large bandwidth. You need, you know, high speed. And so the hotels to whatever it got to upgrade to the highest level Wi-Fi. And some had, some didn't. Um, but fortunately, I, I, it worked out one way or another um i remember i have a i have a it guy who kind of helps me with the site um i remember communicating with him and there were some things where maybe i had to send back home to him for him to put up on the site but other times i could do it um from the hotel and it was just a, a mishmash because i was trying to pump out as as much video as i can and i and i did i remember going you know posting three four videos a day, videos and articles a day, um, just to justify going on the trip and um, documenting everything. And so um, it worked out. It worked out. It wasn't as bad. Um, yeah, I remember you um, sharing some of your 
rough ways. And I think even there was even a computer issue at the beginning, right, for you, which was major, if I recall. And yeah. you had to get a replacement up there. But um, <laughs> glad it all worked out. My my charger, my extension cord charger burned out on the first night in Korea, I think, because like the, the power converter maybe wasn't totally perfect. So it, it caused it to burn out. And by the time we got to China, I was operating on battery power and, and leeching off other people, people's power, you know, chargers and had to go to like a knockoff Apple store there in Guangzhou. It was uh, hairy to say the least, man. But um, all, all good memories in retrospect now for, for, for absolute certain. You can, you can laugh about it when there, there's years removed. Um, well, Dayton, I mean, uh, I, I should probably only ask you one or two more. You, you've been gracious with your time. Um, I guess part A to my final question for you is how has your, you know, your site, your coverage evolved over time? Uh, you know, especially now, as I mentioned, like you're, you're a family man. You have a regular day job that keeps you occupied. And B, how long do you see yourself doing this? Okay. Um, for A, um, it has evolved. Um, like you said, I started this in Warrior Insider in 2010 after um, the shutdown of the Honolulu Advertiser or the merging of the Honolulu Advertiser, however you're going to put it. But um, And at the time, I, I did have a lot more time to give um, to the site. And I was certainly more dedicated to it, uh, putting things as far as content. As the years gone on, um, my kids are growing up. got more expenses to take care of. And I realized that, you know, I can't spend as much time as I could previously. So um, since 2014, um, I've been working full-time at at Kukini Health System, um, their marketing and public relations. And so that takes up, you know, my standard 40 hours a week um, and whatever else. And then, uh, you know, taking care of my kids, um, as mentioned, I, I coach them in softball and I, they, they play other sports as well, not to mention homework. So a lot of times after work, I'm going straight to a park to either coach them or watch them or pick them up. Um, and they're, I've got two of them, a lot of times they're at two different parks. So we're, you know, we're going one way, my wife's going the other way, or sometimes I have to go and pick them up both or she has to pick them up both, whatever, whatever allows. So um, it's a constant battle. It's a daily battle. But I still try to make time uh, on Warrior Insider just because it's what I've been doing, um, you know, for 21 years now. And um, I need to mention that I do get some help on the site. Uh, Wes Nakama, who was with us at the Honolulu Advertiser, um, sure. he helped out with a lot of the writing. Um, I do have some photographers, Brandon Flores, uh, Matt Osumi, Chris Karoka and on the on the road there's been a, a group of guys um, led by Warren Haraki who have who've helped out as well. So um that has definitely helped to keep the site going. Um Wes in particular in the last couple of years has taken over a lot of the writing, um, which allows me to just focus on the video aspect. And you know, there's still a, a niche for it. I think there's still some hardcore basketball fans who follow it. So um as long as that's going, I, as as long as I still have uh a passion for it, which I do. And now that I have help, as long as guys like uh, Wes Nakama and Brandon Flores, they really enjoy it. Um, it's it's essentially a volunteer hobby for them, so which means you have to enjoy it to do that because you're not making anything you, and you're giving your time. And But they stay enjoy doing it and they keep asking, oh, you going to keep going? And every time I think, ah, maybe it's time to start, that they convince me to keep going. So um, even during these tough times, it, it would have made sense to stop now this year um, for for whatever reasons, or at least go on a pause, which is the, the um, catch word now. But um, people wanted to keep going. so um, And I, I wanted to uh, keep going this year as well, just to experience it, just to see what it's it's like. And going back to the original question at the start of this whole thing, it's unique, you know, and it's, you add it to all of the experiences that we've talked about in this last, whatever, how long it's been. seems like we've been talking for a bit, right? I think we've gone over time, huh? <laughs> this is going to be one of my longer episodes, but that's fine. I think we earned it. Yeah, Dayton, uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, I will say, besides you being a big part of the reason I got to go to that trip to China, uh, the, the first few years I was on the beat at the Star Bolton, 
were probably a few of the most fun. I mean, those were the, you know, two of the Bob Nash years. I guess we actually only overlapped at the paper for, at the two print newspapers for two years between us. But those were a couple of the most fun in the sense that I I got to have some of that, like that head-to-head, you know, print daily newspaper competition before that went away in this market and almost any market, right? It, it's just, everything's gone to the online realm and it just, it's changed so much as far as the immediacy of breaking news, right? And um, I, I think if you felt like you had something to yourself that appeared in the next day's newspaper, that was like an entirely different feeling whatsoever, right? You can attest to this from from years of, of being there in those hard copy print newspaper days. And uh, I, I treasure those those couple years because you were there, of course, doing your, your site after that, but some something wasn't quite the same in that particular fashion. So I would see you around, you'd be doing your thing on the website. I'd still have my print responsibilities, but it was cool being there with you for, for a couple of years in that sense. Well, thank you. And, and you know, the feeling is mutual and it's, it's always good to have other people doing what you do um, or at least go through the, the same things. And um, we've been fortunate. We've gone on some, some trips together and after we do our work, we get together and have fun, talk story. And that's part of the experience. Um, but, you know, I also need to add that, you know, you've, you've been terrific at what you do. Um, as far as be, I know what it's like to be the UH basketball beat writer. And I feel like you took it to a whole different level. You know, when you added not just your print, but you had the blog and you were doing all kinds of different things. You're doing social media. You became that new age beat reporter. And obviously you deserved a different fate, but that's a whole different story. Um, but I appreciate what you've done, you know, taking it to a different level because above everything else, why I keep doing this war insider is like I said, I've been a fan since I was, you know, seven or eight years old. And so everything that other people do about UH basketball, I take in and, you know, I follow and I read. And so you've, you've obviously helped raise the program to a different level through your coverage and continue to do so. So um, congratulations to you. Oh man, that, thank you. I, I don't know if I deserve half of that, but, but it, it was a, a pretty fun ride to, to cover that for about a 10, 10 year time span from, yeah, I guess it was about 10 years, 2008 to 18 as, as like, you know, having that as a beat main responsibility, that definitely something all, no matter where, where life takes me uh, from here and, and yourself, you know, I hope you get to keep doing what you're doing because you're, you're passionate about it. And um, yeah, well, we'll see what this year has in store and hopefully many more to come at least uh, in some capacity for us, uh, watching or covering from where we are. So, um, thank you, Dayton Morinaga for, for making some time for one of the longer court sense episodes, uh, to this point. Best of luck with your coverage this weekend. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Everybody else, if you're still listening, thank you so much for hanging in there with us. <laughs> well said. All right. Signing off.